you please uh, turn with me in the scripture to Job chapter 36. Job chapter 36. Uh, we'll be starting at verse uh, 22 and reading through uh, chapter 37. And uh, as we turn there, let's again ask uh, for the Lord's blessing upon the reading of his word. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you that we can sing together of your goodness to us all the day. Uh, you hold us, you take us uh, through the night, through the darkness, through the difficult days. Uh, we know you're there, and you are good, and you are just, and you are glorious. And so, Lord, we pray tonight that as we again have opportunity, and Lord, this is an opportunity you've given to us, another day to live, another day of life and health and breath, another day to be in the Word of God, uh, to learn more of you, uh, that we might love you more. And so we pray that uh, you would bless us tonight uh, to know you better, that we might love you more. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in Job chapter 36, beginning at verse 22. This is Elihu, again, uninterruptedly by Eliphaz or Zophar or Bildad or Job. They have not spoken uh, in response uh, to Elihu. And this really begins his, his fourth encouragement, his fourth speech to Job, remembering that Elihu is a, is a better counselor. And so let's hear uh, the word of the Lord. Job 36, 22. Behold, God is exalted, Job, in his power. Who is a teacher like him? Who has prescribed for him his way? Or who can say you have done wrong? Remember to extol his work of which men have sung. All mankind has looked on it. Man beholds it from afar. Behold, God is great and we know him not. The number of his years is unsearchable. For he draws up the drops of water, they distill his mist in rain, which the skies pour down and drop on mankind abundantly. Can anyone understand the spreading of the clouds, the thunderings of his pavilion? Behold, he scatters his lightning about him and covers the roots of the sea. For by these he judges peoples. He gives food in abundance. He covers his hands with the lightning and commands it to strike the mark. Its crashing declares his presence. The cattle also declare that he rises. At this also my heart trembles and leaps out of its place. Keep listening to the thunder of his voice and the rumbling that comes from his mouth. Under the whole heaven he lets it go and his lightning to the corners of the earth. After it his voice roars, he thunders with his majestic voice and he does not restrain the lightnings when his voice is heard. God thunders wondrously with his voice. He does great things that we cannot comprehend. For to the snow, he says, fall on the earth. Likewise to the downpour, his mighty downpour. He seals up the hand of every man that all men whom he made may know it. Then the beasts go into their lairs and remain in their dens. From its chamber comes the whirlwind. And cold from the scattering winds, by the breath of God, ice is given, and the broad waters are frozen fast. He loads the thick cloud with moisture. The clouds scatter his lightning. They turn round and around by his guidance to accomplish all that he commands them on the face of the habitable world, whether for correction or for his land or for love. He causes it to happen. 
Hear this, O Job. Stop and consider the wondrous works of God. Do you know how God lays his command upon them and causes the lightning of his cloud to shine? Do you know the balancings of the clouds, the wondrous works of him who is perfect in knowledge? You whose garments are hot when the earth is still because of the south wind. Can you, like him, spread out the skies hard as a cast metal mirror? Teach us what we shall say to him. We cannot draw up our case because of darkness. Shall it be told him that I would speak? Did a man ever wish that he would be swallowed up? And now no one looks on the light when it is bright in the skies. When the wind has passed and cleared them out of the north comes golden splendor. God is clothed with awesome majesty. The Almighty, we cannot find him. He is great in power, justice, and abundant righteousness. He will not Violate. Therefore, men fear him. He does not regard any who are wise in their own conceit. Thus ends the words of Elihu. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, please open for us uh, your word tonight. Help us to see uh, the good things uh, of, of your word. Comfort us and challenge us and convict us and lead us, we pray, uh, to worship of your great and holy name. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In uh, William Shakespeare's play, King Henry V, uh, which you may have read in high school class, perhaps many years ago, or will read, uh, in that play, King Henry V, on the great uh, eve of the Battle of Agincourt, the king, you might recall, disguises himself, King Henry, and walks among the troops because he wants to find out, uh, are his troops really behind him uh, in this battle? And he comes upon a, a fire, I think it is, and starts to talk with his, with his troops and the soldiers there. And, and nobody, uh, nobody recognizes him, and, uh, and they just speak with him about the coming battle. In the movie uh, Darkest Hour, uh, portraying events in England during World War II and the administration of Winston Churchill, there's a scene where Winston Churchill sneaks out of his chauffeured vehicle uh, to descend into the London underground, and he hops on a train to talk with everyday Britishers uh, to see what uh, their thoughts were on the war. Should England fight or seek to compromise uh, with the Nazis? Apparently, that's an apocryphal story. He didn't really do that, but... makes good film. And, uh, but as Winston Churchill appears on the train, uh, in this case, the folks on the train, of course, immediately recognize Churchill and are somewhat, uh, somewhat awed and taken aback by his presence, astounded that he would appear on the train. And uh, when it comes to uh, recognizing someone who is worthy of honor, are we more like the soldiers in Henry V or the Londoners of Darkest Hour? You know, are we the folks who um, are oblivious to the presence of the king in our midst, uh, or do we marvel at his presence uh, with us? Job says, Elihu, God is greater than you think. God is the just governor over all. God is good. He pours out his benefits on his people. He answers the prayer of faith. He saves and delivers his people. And Job, God... God is worthy of your praise. Why do we struggle in the Christian life anyway? 
Why is it that you and I sometimes are led astray? Uh, why do we really, you know, why do we neglect reading the Word of God? Why do we not pray? Why do we, why do we neglect the worship of the living God? Why do we not serve Him the way we should? Why do we not speak of Jesus to others? Why do we not give God our all? Our marriage, our career, our future, our money, our children, and our life. Why? Well, it's because we do not believe He is worthy. Our God is too small. Christian counselor Ed Welch wrote a wonderful book called When People Are Big and God is Small. Hopefully you've read that. I think it's in our church, our church library. Well, what happens? Well, you know, he, uh, that's the name of the book, When People Are Big and God is Small. What's the problem with that? Well, Welch says this. If that's true in your life, that people are big and God is small, then you live your life in the fear of man, seeking the approval of men, the praise of men, rather than fearing God and seeking to please God. Uh, it's, that, it's that simple. Uh, we're more concerned with what people think than with what God thinks. And Romans 1, of course, tells us we exchange the truth for a lie and worship the creature rather than the creator when people are big and God is small. Now, Elihu uh, wants Job and thereby us to know uh, that he is worthy. This is what he says. Behold, verse 22, as he starts, behold, God is exalted in his power. Who's a teacher like him? Who has prescribed for him his way? Or who can say you've done wrong? Of course, the obvious answer Elihu's looking for there is nobody. And then he says this, remember, verse 24, to extol his work of which men have sung. All mankind has looked on it and man beholds it from afar. Here's the first point, two points tonight. First point is this. He is worthy uh, for his works of providence. This is what Elihu wants Job to know. All that God does uh, are wondrous works that are meant for us, uh, meant to lead us to extol him, to praise him, to adore him, to, to count him as worthy of our worship. So Elihu begins with that word, behold, of course, verse 22. He repeats it in verse 26. Behold, God is exalted. Behold, God is great. You might remember earlier in chapter 36, verse 5, he said, behold, uh, God is mighty and does not despise any. He's exalted in power, remember, to extol or praise his work. Uh, Elihu says to Job, it fills men, that is the Lord's work, it fills men with song, and every man is without excuse. All man has looked on it. That is, there's no place, no country, no time, no people where the evidence of his work uh, is not obvious. All mankind has looked on it. Uh, it, is, it is overwhelming his work, uh, and it is worthy of praise. So much so, you might recall that the psalmist writes at one time, uh, the fool uh, says in his heart, there is no God. That, the Bible says, is the uh, epitome of foolishness. Why? Well, for instance, the psalmist says in Psalm 8, 
O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory above the heavens. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? As the psalmist looks at the heavens, he sees abundant evidence of the glorious work of God. And of course, that theme is continued in Psalm 19 in the opening verses. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There's no speech, nor there are words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. That is, there's no language, there's no country, there's no people, uh, where the voice of the glory of God, uh, blasting through His creation and His works of providence, there's no place you can go, no people group you can happen upon, where that voice does not come through loud and clear. And, uh, of course, that's what Paul says, right, in Romans. Uh, We are left without excuse because the evidence of the glorious God, the Creator, uh, is all over His divine power and majesty. But we suppress the truth. Now, what what does Elihu marshal in evidence of what he is trying to say to Job? That is, that God is worthy of our praise. Well, notice the, uh, the evidence that he gathers. Uh, one writes this, Elihu engages us with imagery that engages Job and us with visceral force. Uh, visceral force, visceral relates to the organs and the cavities of the body, especially the abdomen. That is, some uh, commentator looking at this passage, this is Elihu getting ready to bring out the heavy uh, artillery, of course, in love as a counselor to Job, but he, he, wants, to, he, wants, to, he wants to show Job just, boom, <laughs> in the abdomen. Get a, uh, get a better picture of your God. By the way, if you subscribe to magazines like Answers in Genesis or Creation Ministries, you can lose yourself in God's wondrous works on a continual basis, which is what Elihu will direct our attention to. First, verse 26, Behold, God is great, and we know him not. The number of his years is unsearchable, for he draws up uh, he draws up the drops of water. They distill his mist in rain, which the skies pour down and drop on mankind uh, abundantly. That's simply uh, Elihu describing uh, the water cycle. He's describing evaporation. He's describing uh, precipitation. Verse 29, can anyone understand the spreading of the clouds, the thundering uh, of his pavilions? Verse 32, he covers his hands with the lightning. Verse 33, it's crashing, uh, declares his presence. Chapter 37, verse 2, keep listening to the thunder of his voice, the rumbling that comes from his mouth. Verse 4, after it, his voice roars, he thunders with his majestic voice. He does not restrain the lightnings when his voice is heard. Down at verse 11, he loads the thick cloud with moisture the clouds scatter his lightning. And so uh, these are some of his works, says Elihu, uh, thunder and lightning. He mentions the sending of snow in verse 6, cold and the whirlwind in verse 9, ice in verse 10. In other words, all the varied uh, elements and, and processes of the world in which we live in. And this is what Elihu says in verse 12 of 37, after having described all of God's works of providence. They run or turn around. He's talking here about about the whirlwind. Think about a tornado or a hurricane, something like that. They turn around and around by his guidance to accomplish all that he commands them on the face of the habitable world. 
whether for correction or for his land or for love, (laughs) he causes it to happen. And you think about what what Elihu says there, everything that happens in, in, in God's works of providence, either he's correcting people He's simply providing for his, his creation, his land, or he's doing it for love, for his people. But in either case, says Elihu, he is the one who causes it all to happen. In other words, God guides and accomplishes and commands and corrects and loves, causes these things to happen. And so Elihu says, that being the case, you need to sing. You need to extol the Lord and his work. You need to, you need to praise him. Notice what he says, verse 14 of chapter 37. Hear this, O Job. Stop and consider the wondrous works of God. That's what you need to do, Job. Job is uh, being given better counsel by Elihu. And Elihu says to Job, listen, not only is God uh, good and, and just and greater than you think, but Job, he is worthy of your praise. Um, you need to stop and, and consider his works. Now, we tell ourselves, and we might tell Elihu, oh, I, I don't have time. <laughs> Elihu, you, I mean, you want me to stop? Um, I'm, I'm too busy. Um, you know, I, I don't have time to stop and consider the wondrous works of God. It's a lie. It's not true. We do have time. In fact, we all have the same amount of time as everybody else. We simply choose to do other things than stop and consider the wondrous works of God. Because other things that have captured our heart, which we believe are more worthy of our time and energy and effort, that's why we choose to do them. Because they have captured our heart, and we believe that they are worthy. And so we work, and we labor, and we sleep, and we eat. Because all these things we believe are worthy of our consideration and time. And so Elijah says to Job, stop and consider uh, the wondrous works of God. Stop your video games. Stop your pursuit of wealth. Stop your addiction to work. Stop your television binging. Stop your social media obsession. Stop your uh, narcissistic focus on yourself. Stop your uh, preoccupation with politics and current events. Uh, Stop all your questions, Job. And consider the wondrous works of God. I was reading a book recently that I really had no business reading uh, because its argument and scientific depth uh, was well beyond me. But even though I only understood probably about a tenth of this book, it was still worth it. It was enough to, to blow my mind. It's called The Return of the God Hypothesis by a leading uh, intelligent design thinker. You maybe heard about intelligent design. His name's Stephen Meyer. And uh, in that book, he tries to lay out a uh, foundation rationally and scientifically uh, on the unbelieving scientist's own terms that biology the study of life itself, the origin of life itself, the study of cosmology, the study of the origins of the cosmos, the world, and the study of physics, that is the fine-tuning of the universe all around us, that is that it's uh, only here on this planet 
uh, and all the, all the fine-tuning that's necessary for life to exist, uh, it's all here on planet Earth. All of that, he says, overwhelmingly points to God, so much so that you have to be blind or you're purposefully covering your eyes not to see it. Stop and consider, says Job, or Elihu to Job, the wondrous works of God. He's worthy of worship. Do you see it, Elihu says? Do you see it? Do you see it? Drink it in and do what men, and this is what he says, do what men and women of old have done. Uh, sing uh, his praise. Therefore, the end of the chapter, verse 24, therefore men fear him. Yeah, that's right. They, they sing of his works and they, they fear him. In other words, Elihu's saying we, we, need to, we need to join the choir. He is worthy of our praise. We shouldn't be protesting as he believes Job has been doing, protesting against God. Instead, we should be singing and extolling his work. And of course, remember, unlike, uh, unlike Job, when it comes to reasons to sing, and as you consider uh, the wondrous uh, works of God, and as we've just confessed tonight, uh, our belief in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, you have these words, which Job did not have, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, for by Jesus, by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Speaking of Jesus, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, firstborn from the dead, that in everything, in everything, he might be preeminent. He might be preeminent. And of course, we have the Gospels. We have Jesus. We have Jesus in the boat with his disciples. We have Jesus sleeping. We have the disciples fearful for their lives because the big storm comes on the Sea of Galilee. And they find Jesus and say, wake up. We're in trouble. And, uh, And then Jesus comes and says to the Storm, peace, be still. And they were, they were afraid because even the winds and the waves obey him. And so Elihu says to Job, do you believe that? Then you need to sing. And you need to fear him, reverence, reverence him. So that's the first thing. He is worthy because of his works of providence. Praise him. Extol him. And he is worthy because he is the incomprehensibly uh, awesome God, is what Elihu says. Verse 22, after he describes the lightning and the storms, and he asks Job a series of questions. Verse 22, as he ends this section, out of the north comes golden splendor. God is clothed with awesome majesty. The Almighty, we cannot find him He is great in power and justice and abundant righteousness. He will not violate. Therefore, men fear him. Earlier in chapter 36, uh, verse uh, 26, Elihu said, Behold, God is great, and we know him not. The number of his years is unsearchable. Comes, says Elihu, God comes, and he's clothed 
the Bible says, with awesome majesty. He's worthy of praise because he is the incomprehensibly awesome God. Now, I think Elihu, if he were allowed to visit our country today, uh, would be very saddened uh, that the word awesome uh, has fallen uh, on rather hard times. Uh, Despite uh, being uh, a weighty biblical word, uh, it has lost its significance for us. To describe something in the Bible as awesome is to say uh, that it fills you with reverential fear and awe and wonder. So that, for instance, in the New Testament, uh, in the book of Hebrews, when it's talking, when we are being uh, taught about worship uh, in the New Covenant, worship because of all that Jesus Christ has, has done, what kind of worship are we to bring? Well, Hebrews twelve twenty eight says this, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, unlike the world's kingdoms, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. You've heard the word awful. The word awful is to be uh, something that is full of awe, full of wonder. Um, The awful majesty of God, we could talk about it. Not awful as bad, but awful means simply full of, uh, full of, uh, uh, it creates a a fullness in you of awe and reverence. That's what the word uh, awesome means. Now, of course, that's not what the word awesome means today. We've lost something in our culture. And so, for instance, uh, when you can purchase uh, inspirational cards to send to your friends that on the front title says, you're awesome, well, okay. Uh, You can purchase on Amazon, uh, you can purchase totally awesome all-purpose cleaner. Oh, okay. You can actually buy uh, an awesome synthetic wig. Um conditioning spray. Uh, It's awesome. Now, when we use the language that way, of course, we're losing something. Now, of course, other folks can be very nice. Uh, Certain products are great, but uh, are they really such as to fill you with a sense of wonder and a reverential fear? No. And uh, I forget what movie it was back in the 80s, I think, or something. But that's when it really, um, you know, the word awesome just got dragged into the mud. And we used it for everything except for God. Elihu speaks of God being clothed with awesome majesty. He's the king before whom we bow. Think of Isaiah. Woe is me, for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Now, here's the thing. Because he is awesome... Uh, we recognize who we are. And this is what Elihu is trying to, uh, to show to Job, verse 22. Behold, God is exalted in power. Who's a teacher like him? You? Who has prescribed for him his way? Or who can say you have done wrong? Can you say that to God? That he has done wrong when he is the, the awesome God? Verse 26, behold, God is great. We know him not. We don't know. Uh, verse 29, can anyone understand the spreading of the clouds? The answer is no. Verse 5 of chapter 37, God thunders wondrously with his voice. He does great things that we cannot comprehend. Verse 15, do you know how God lays his command upon them? 
causes the lightning of his cloud to shine. Verse 16, do you know the balancings of the clouds? Verse 18, can you like him spread out the skies? Verse 19, teach us what we shall say to him. You teach us. No. Job says Elihu, you don't, you don't, you don't know as much as you think you know. He is clothed with awesome majesty. He does wondrous works for which he is to be extolled and praised and, and worshipped and, um, and sung to. And, and you don't know. You just don't know. You can't, you can't comprehend the works of God. You are in the presence of, of awesome majesty. I don't know if you've ever been, you ever been uh, humbled in the presence of someone uh, who seems to be much smarter than you? I had a, uh, I had a professor in, uh, in university uh, who had this effect uh, on me. Uh, his name was Dr. Walters. And Dr. Walters taught religion uh, classes. He taught philosophy classes. He taught Greek classes. He taught Hebrew classes. He knew, I don't know, eight or nine different languages. He was one of the professors who, when they discovered, or when they uh, were cleaning up the Dead Sea Scrolls to be able to be analyzed, he was one of the men that they called and said, um, would you like to come and study the Dead Sea Scrolls? And uh, Dr. Walters was one of those men who just looked like, he, looked like he walked out of the pages of the Old Testament. Just stepped out. You put a white robe on him or a robe and, and he's Moses for me. We have that sometimes. Elihu says, God is clothed in awesome majesty. And so men fear him. In fact, (laughs) did you see what he said in verse 1 of chapter 37? At this, he's about to tell us more of the wondrous works of God. He says, at this also, my heart trembles and leaps uh, out of its place. When I think about the works of this God, my heart leaps out. And he says to Job, keep listening, verse 2, to the thunder of his voice. It can be translated this way. Listen, listen. He repeats the word listen twice. Listen, listen to the thunder of his voice. That is, God is speaking and the works around us. And Elihu knows that Job must make a personal response. That is, stop and consider, Job, the works of God. And he's saying here that, Job, we cannot and we must not expect fully to then understand him because he is the incomprehensibly awesome God. How does that apply to Job or us? Well, when we don't understand what is happening in our life, that doesn't mean that we should accuse God of injustice or indifference or incompetence or of somehow lacking, being lacking in, in love. We are called to, to trust him in the dark. Wrote Augustine, Seek not to understand that you might believe, but believe that you may understand. We can't fully comprehend God. Don't wait 
in your life with God to think that, well, I'm going to, you know, before I fully give myself to the Lord, I need to first understand exactly all his ways. Don't ever do that because that will never come. Instead, said Augustine, instead we, we bow before him. We, we believe in him and we, we trust in him. And then as we believe in him, then we come to, to understand in a greater way than we ever had before the ways of this, this God. So though you cannot understand your suffering, Job, you can believe the one who holds you in your suffering. God is to be feared and reverenced and held in awe, not men. God certainly doesn't, says Elihu, the end of the chapter, God certainly doesn't regard or give honor or special attention to conceited or proud men. And so Elihu's thinking is kind of going like this. If man can't fully understand what God is doing in the heavens and the natural world and his works of providence, for which he is to be praised but cannot be understood fully, certainly we can't expect to understand the ways of God in our individual lives ever, because he is God, and we are his people. Elihu is really anticipating the Lord himself by asking Job a series of questions there in verses 15 to 20, and they're all meant to humble him before the incomprehensibly awesome God. Friends, it's this kind of awe and reverence and majesty that overwhelmed those who heard and saw Jesus for the first time, you see. That same awesome majesty revealed in the person of the Son. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind. Jesus had just healed him. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs and what Jesus had done. And the Bible says they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. They, they had seen something of the awesome majesty of Jesus. And then, of course, you had the, uh, the disciples out, out fishing. Uh, and, uh, and Jesus tells them where they should drop their nets. And so they, they answer Jesus. They do what Jesus says. Uh, they filled the, took in the nets and it filled the boats so that the boats began to sink. And this is what the Bible says in Luke 5.8. But when Simon Peter saw it, when Simon Peter saw it, when Simon Peter saw it, when he saw what Jesus had done, He fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they'd taken. And so also were James and John, partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching Men, afraid, fear, reverence for Jesus. He is holy. He is powerful. He fills us with a sense of awe and wonder. And uh, 
I think if we were to ask Elihu, I think Elihu would say maybe, as he does to Job, if he doesn't, you know, if this God whom we worship, this Jesus whom we worship, does not fill us with awe and wonder, that really means we need to start over. We need to go back, back to the beginning, and we need to go back to the Gospels. And we need to pray that God would give us new eyes as we read through the Gospels and maybe meet Jesus again or meet Him for the first time in all His wonder and all His majesty. This is good counsel. This is a better way to come alongside one who is suffering. Look up, look out, stop. Uh, Consider the works and the wonder of God. And for us, stop and consider the works and the wonder of Jesus. This God in the flesh, so majestic, so awesome, and yet... Philippians says he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or held on to, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, that by his blood he might ransom men for God. There's a hymn, new hymn that was written a couple years ago. That's what I want to close with. It's a hymn called Is He Worthy by a fellow named Andrew Peterson. And in this hymn, he actually poses a series of questions, much like uh, the style of Elihu. The difference is that in this hymn, Andrew Peterson answers each question he poses. This is how it goes. Do you feel the world is broken? We do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? We do. Do you wish that you could see it all made new? We do. Is all creation groaning? It is. Is a new creation coming? It is. Is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst? It is. Is it good that we remind ourselves of this? It is. Does the Father truly love us? He does. Does the Spirit move among us? He does. And does Jesus, our Messiah, hold forever those He loves? He does. Does our God intend to dwell again with us? He does. Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah. Who conquered the grave, he's David's root, the lamb who died to ransom the slave. From every people and tribe, every nation and tongue, he's made us a kingdom and priest to God to reign with the Son. Is he worthy? Is he worthy? Of all blessing and honor and glory, is he worthy? Is he worthy? Is he worthy of this? He is. Is he worthy? Is he worthy? He is. He is. It's a great hymn. Elihu, friends, is a better counselor, reminding Job he is. He is worthy of your praise. He's worthy of your trust. God is greater than you think. He is just. He is good. And he is worthy. Zophar, Bildad, Eliphaz, and Job all remain silent. But God himself is coming to speak to Job and to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father,
Uh, we thank you uh, for your word. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for this book of Job, and we thank you for these words of Elihu. And Lord, as we anticipate in these last chapters of this, this book, finally uh, hearing you speak to Job. We thank you for these words of Elihu, not only to Job, but to us. That Lord, even in our, even in our suffering, and then in our response to suffering, that there are godly truths we need to hear. You are just. You are good. You are greater than we can imagine, and you are worthy of all our praise, all our trust, and all our love. We see your power and majesty all around us, and you are the incomprehensibly awesome God and Lord, when we look to the Lord Jesus Christ, that this incomprehensibly awesome God has come to dwell among us. He has come to live and to die for us. Oh Lord, may we be filled even tonight as we go our way tonight into a new week to serve you. Oh Lord, may we be filled uh, with this reverential fear and awe, filled with thankfulness for your grace to us that the majestic God has come to us in Jesus as our Redeemer, as our Savior, as our friend, and as our King. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.